Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, I am so excited because this topic is so relevant to all of our listeners. This whole idea of digital transformation, technology transformation, leveraging technology in new and disruptive ways. Um, you guys are going to love my guest and the, the topic for today on the podcast today is Howard Tersky. Howard, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Justin. I'm excited. I am too. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, for those that don't know Howard, he's the CEO of From the Digital Transformation Agency. He's got an incredible background in consulting. A lot. Uh, we've got we've had some crossing paths in our background, which is kind of fun. We were talking about before we hit record. Um, and he's also got a really great book called Winning Digital Customers: The Antidote to Irrelevance. I can't even wait to understand that in more detail. Um, let's start with this, Howard. How did you get into this space? Talk about about your background and kind of gave you what gave you the credentials around like digital transformation? Sure. Well, I think I was just uh, happened to be in the right place at the right time because I was working for Ernst Young Consulting, as you mentioned, uh, in I guess this would have been around gosh, 1992 or 93, something like yep, that. Yep, I remember. Right, right <laughs> during the sort of dawn of the commercial internet. And uh, I was at that time, I was actually working in the graphics department. Oh, I, I remember was, graphics. They did all our PowerPoint <laughs> stuff. Right. It was amazing. Right. Yes. Yeah. So sometimes I joke as many presentations as I give. I sometimes joke that I started my career making PowerPoint slides and I never really moved beyond that. <laughs> but Howard, so, uh, aren't you really good? At, and then we're going to take a sidebar for a minute. I mean, I love PowerPoint. Like I love making good slides. Don't you find yourself being totally anal about that? I mean, like detailed. Uh, yeah. Well, let me put it this way. I, I I feel like I do I do I do expect the to have slides that look good and aren't like those crazy eye chart slides totally. with like a million. That's the worst. You know, sometimes people do slides and I'm like, okay, that's actually four slides. You made a separate right. slide in each each quadrant of the screen. Can we please I'm like, it's not going to take you any they're like, well, it's a I only have 30 minutes, I only so I have can only have minutes. 10 slides. I it's like, no, no, no. If you make one world. slide with 50 bullet points on it, you have not saved yourself presentation time. Versus breaking, that's like, you know. Um, oh my God. So, that's yeah, a good but lesson I think, learned for today for everybody already. <laughs> well, and you know, honestly, design, any kind of design and making slides is just another example of communication design is really good experience for anyone who's in our space because, in the end, what you have to get good at is how to capture someone's attention and how to communicate something succinctly because people have ever diminishing attention spans. So I think that in some ways, uh, you know, it's it's good training for almost any kind of digital communication because that's what you got to do in a slide. You got to do something that grabs people, but pulls them in in a way that doesn't just turn them off with too much information. I love it. Okay. So you start your career in graphics, which I, like I said, I, they were my best friends in consulting. So, and we're in the <laughs> mid to mid nineties, late nineties. Yeah. So guys remember yeah. Y2K was hot. Uh, management consulting was booming. I mean, we've, and it's booming again, but right. at that time it was just exploding, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I was really pushing for, and I'll tell you something. I mean, the, the graphics department that I was brought into, and I, I think it was 91 when I first started, they actually brought me in initially as a contractor because 
they didn't use computers yet. And they had some Macintosh computers, but um, most of the work was being done on drafting tables. Oh, wow. So someone would need a cover for a proposal and they would go to the file cabinet and get the logo and they would paste it up, you know, and they would shoot it with a camera and they would have it printed. This is how things were being done then. But there were people in the consulting management who realized that this graphics department needed to be, well, you know, I guess you could call it digitally transformed. Certainly didn't use that language. Right. It wasn't called that. And so they said, you know, we bought them these three Macintosh computers, but they just sit unused in the corner while they work at their drafting table. So they brought me in and I was just a kid then I was probably 20, 20, I don't know, 22 maybe. And, um, uh, they're like, okay, this kid is going to get everyone to like use the computers, you know? So that was kind of my charge was to sort of get everyone excited about the computers. And, uh, you know, and I did, um, and, uh, pe- you know, they were, they were people that were willing to learn. It's just, nobody had really helped them make the transition. And so, sure. um, and in fact, some of those early slides, I remember I would sometimes do a style where he had this one guy who was great at drawing out slides and I would let him go ahead and draw it on paper. And then we would scan it and we bring it in and we'd color it in Photoshop and in, in, oh in, in, uh, what was it? You know, PowerPoint or persuasion. That's the oh, word I was looking persuasion. for. The old. And, uh, and, and we actually got this kind of cool hand-drawn style, but still colored in with gradients in the, in the computer. And, and then, but the other thing of course, was that then what were we doing with the slides? Right. We were having them imaged to 35 millimeter, right? So we'd make them in the computer and then we'd send them out. And what we'd get back is a stack of slides and we'd have to put them in the slide carousels because oh that God. back then they didn't slide actually have carousels. projectors to connect to computers. We were making right. literal slides. Most people don't even know what a slide is anymore. <laughs> they just think it's a page. Like, why is it in PowerPoint? The pages are called slides. Oh like, gosh. why would that even be? Why don't they just call it a page? Well, you know, because history, it right? used to be. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so. So that's kind of how I got started. I guess you could argue my first assignment was a kind of a digital transformation on a very small scale. And but what it also meant was that, um, you know, I was really the one not only pushing them to make 35 millimeter slides on computers, but to um, start using projectors rather than slide carousels and using animation and interactivity and creating kiosks and, um, you know, using the world of multimedia, which at the time meant things like if you remember, you know, Macromind director and things like that. <laughs> nice. Um, yes. But this is, you know, if, if any of your, your listeners are younger than we are, they're probably like, I don't know what these people <laughs> are talking what about. That is right. You know, <laughs> remember when we watched the Andy Griffith show? You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I'm not that old. No, um, no. Well, anyway, yeah, good. But, but then you got into, I mean, and that was an amazing place to start. But you got into the whole media entertainment space in consulting, yeah. right? So you moved yeah. over onto the client service side. Well, that's right. And I, it was, it was really uh, more being drafted than anything. I, um, one day, you know, all of a sudden this issue of, of um, digital interactive stuff became relevant to Ernst Young Consulting's clients. Previously, it hadn't, we'd just been this sort of internal group working on presentations and, and documents. And one day uh, it became relevant to clients. So they looked around the company and they said, you know, who they, they had a lot of people who knew about client server technologies, who knew about, if you remember, you know, case computer totally. assisted software engineering, you know, but who knew about computer graphics? I mean, there was almost no opportunity for graphics. Um, in fact, I remember the very first project that they brought me into for a client was for Pacific Gas and Electric. Hmm, and they were creating, yeah, and they were creating an exchange for trading exchange credits for things like electricity. So they're like a bidding system for pricing out commodities of gas and electric, electricity primarily. And this 
client server application because the users who were going to be people at all the different utility companies and power generation companies around the country, they had to download the software and then connect by modem to the server in order to participate in this exchange to trade utility credits. But at the very top, there was a row of for icons. <laughs> and they're like, we don't who's going to create these icons? So this was my first, this was That's my you. transition over. They're like, we need somebody who can make icons. And the icons, I remember, I think they were 20 by 20 pixels. Oh my God. So that's what we had to work with, right? And one had to represent, you know, to to receive a credit or to get a credit or all these very abstract ideas, right? And I had to figure out using 20, using, well, I guess it's, you know, I remember actually discussing and saying, it's only 20 by 20 pixels. And they're like, Howard, that's 400 pixels you have to work with. And I'm like, well, that's true. That's a good point. If you multiply it out, (laughs) I'll do my best with my 400 pixels. So that was how I started. But then what happened, um, by the way, these are stories I've never told before. I love it. It's perfect. This is exclusive, (laughs) possibly irrelevant, (laughs) possibly irrelevant kind. I've done a hundred podcasts. I've never, ever talked about my PSC and G icon. So you've got a real scoop here. I love uh, it. You got some scoop. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, so anyway, but what really that happened was is as digital stuff became more and more important first these types of of early applications even pre-internet as cd-rom and things like that became more of a business tool they were pulling me in more and more and what was really cool about it was like like all of a sudden you're at PSENG, all of a sudden you're at Procter and Gamble, all of a sudden you're at, at at Novartis all of a sudden you know at Kimberly Clark all of a sudden you're at Citibank I mean it's like that's what's cool about being part of some like giant consulting companies no that grab Walking you out of the graphics brands. department. Yeah. And they're like, you have to come talk to the CFO of Citibank. And I'm like, right. uh, okay. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> right. um, cause, and, and I would never have had that opportunity at that age and that number of years of experience, except for the fact that there was just nobody else who knew about this stuff. Right. You know, it was just such obscure knowledge at the time. You know, I had the only copy of Photoshop in the whole company and it was Photoshop <laughs> 2, 2.0. Oh my God. You know, so if someone needed Photoshop, I was like, and I, I, I exaggerate slightly. I mean, there was a graphics department. There were five or six of us that had Photoshop, but in any case, <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so, and you know, the rest was sort of a, a trajectory from there. And I was really just riding the wave of the digital world, which was, this became more and more important. And I just happened to be in the right place to get sort of pulled into it very early and then there was a point where, you know, if you'd done six months of work on internet projects, you were like one of the most experienced people around. Totally. Because like nobody it. else you had know? it. That's right. 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 Everyone was like just learning. And, and they're like, you've already launched a website before. Wow. Oh, you come know? to this project. You got to come yeah, to the next project. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So that, you know, and, and nobody asked you, do you have a degree in this? No. There were no degrees in this. You know, Definitely this was not. brand new, you know. So and so really then for the next, gosh, I don't know, 14 years or so after that, I was with Ernst Young Consulting, which at a certain point got bought by Capgemini, but really doing the same thing, which was working with like all kinds of huge Fortune 1000 type clients, dozens and dozens of them on digital transformation, which, you know, of course, in the early days was really just about getting a few web pages out. That's you could right. argue That's not exactly all that right. transformational. But even that early PSENG project, you know, was was transformational within an industry because while it wasn't necessarily for their, their customers, it was creating an exchange so that utility companies could collaborate together in a way that previously either hadn't been possible or was extremely cumbersome, like phone calls and faxes, you know, and now you had a digital transaction marketplace for something, even if there were only 50 companies and 200 users on it, that was the beginning of, you can see a trajectory between something like that to Alibaba or whatever, where people are millions of you know transactions a day uh, of all kinds of commercial transactions happening all over the world. 
So that's really what I wound up doing. And I, and it became because I was a little bit ahead, you know, I was always meaning like I was doing it early. Sure. Um, I always just had a lot of experience in it. And, and even today now, obviously there's a lot of people in digital, but having worked with one of the things that enabled me to write the book is I'm like, wow, for 25 years, I've been working with large brands, helping figure out how to get their organizations, their technologies, their people, their processes, their marketing messages, and their business models to change to really make the most of a digital world. And of course, while I was doing that, the the, the importance of this, I had no idea when I was making icons for PSENG right. that, that this would be so key. That, that this is, <laughs> right, right. You know, exactly. But 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 today, of course, this is why I call my book Winning Digital Customers, because to me, what I mean by digital customers is that that the vast majority of people today are living a lifestyle with digital at the center. And That's so right. as any business needs to think about how do I uh, you know, how do I accommodate that? How do I optimize for that? And many organizations that were born pre-digital, they're, they're still behind the curve in terms of the transformation necessary. That's right. No doubt. So fast forward a bit, um, and you, you continue to work with a number of big companies. I, I saw in your background, NBC, A&E, Mattel, Barnes & Noble Education, Mall of America, Transamerica. I mean, lots of great companies that are going through yeah. what has become even more and more of, of a digital transformation. And, and it means different things now. Um Share with our audience how you're defining digital transformation today um, and how that looks for big brands. Sure. Well, building on what I said a moment ago, I, 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 I see digital transformation it, it, like in two layers. If you think about like one of those cross sections of the earth, you know, where there's like the magma core and then there's like, I forget the names <laughs> right. of all the different, yeah, so different you know, layers the, of the earth. Right. So I, I think of it like that. And I think, you know, the core of digital transformation is the digital transformation of the world. Ooh. And and the customer, right? Because your customers are changing, your competitive environment is changing, the expectations of your, your partners, your distributors, your suppliers, it's all changing. And, and that is not something that you at any one business, no matter how big and important it may be, is going to do anything about or certainly stop. Sure. Um, and, and so the outer layer then to me is, okay, well, what about you as a business? What are you, how, the world is changing, the, the digital transformation of an organization is really about saying, all right, if the world is changing, what do we need to do to adapt ourselves to be successful in this changed world? There's a quote that I love from Jack Welsh, and this is a quote from back in the 80s. And Jack Welsh, for anyone who doesn't know, of course, is the legendary CEO of General Electric, who I think 10x the stock price of that company during Crazy. his tenure as CEO. Crazy. Major turnaround. Uh, things didn't go as well after he left, but well, clearly a very sharp guy. And then the quote is, he said at that time, when the speed of change on the outside exceeds the speed of change on the inside, the end is near. Mm, that's interesting. And, I love that. Yeah. I think so many companies today are in that situation. They're changing, they're improving, but at what speed relative to the speed of change? And now to, to, to give that a further kick, COVID has right. accelerated the digital transformation of the world. So, no and many doubt. companies were already behind in the race. And now the front runner, if you will, the customer, the customer's expectations and needs just got a jetpack put on them. That's so right. that's the challenge a lot of companies are facing today. Wow. Um, so you've been doing a lot of work on the, uh, in the agency side. How does that differ than your consulting work or does it not? It doesn't really. I, I, you know, what happened was I, I worked for those companies for, for many years and at a certain point I opened my own um, company to do the same types of work, which, you know, now to successfully aid a company in digital transformation, it requires a combination of things. It requires 
understanding the customer, customer research. It requires uh, visioning and developing a strategy Absolutely. and a vision, a customer journey. It requires user experience and design and, and, and content related skills. It requires technology skills. And so, uh, and it requires uh, the ability to help think through business issues. How do you, uh, for example, build a team that needs to support a digital property? How do you provide customer service, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And more than that, it involves working very often with many parts of the organization, whether that's finance or legal or HR, you've got something that really is all encompassing. And so um, that's what we do. And, you know, you could call us kind of a hybrid of you know, I mean, the word agency is kind of a funny term, right? Right, it of comes course. Out of, you think digital it comes agency, out of, yeah. Yeah, it comes out of advertising agencies or even like a travel agency, like an advertising agency that was essentially an agency for That's right. television television advertise. you know, an agency for advertising outlets. So we don't do any advertising. So it's kind of a legacy term in my mind. But nevertheless, that's what people tend to call companies like ours. So I'm not going to fight City Hall on that one. <laughs> sure. But really, really what we are is a hybrid of a company that helps like a McKinsey would do or a BCG or a Bain or or a you know, Capgemini or others sure. think through business and digital strategy and a company that can help you execute and implement it more like a company. And of course, there are many companies that cross these different areas, but you know, like you might think of as an agency in terms of the, we have a large creative team and a large technology team. So our goal is to be able to, at least in the industries that we focus on, be able to really help with that end to end, because I think it's very beneficial when you have a single partner. And of course, we always collaborate with many other companies at any given large company. It's sure. not about doing everything. But I think having a through line of one company that can help you both with strategy and implementation is a big advantage to our, a client of ours, whether it's us or another company that can do that end to end, because that way you get more continuity of thinking. Sure. Love that. And I love that idea. Um, let's dive into your book. I, I'm excited uh, for you to share a bit about the book with our audience, uh, Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. Um, you've talk about the book itself, how it's laid out and structured, and then let's get to some of the key points in the methodology. Yeah, well, sure. So, well, what I tried to do with the book was to create a, a, a blueprint that people could follow who were at Originally, I'm targeting large companies, although, frankly, I hear from a lot of small and medium businesses that they're using it as well, which That's makes awesome. me happy. I, That's great. My, my, my you know, professional experience is all working with the largest brands in the world. So I don't make any um, representation that everything I say in the book scales down to a small business. But what I'm hearing is that a lot of small and medium businesses are able to intelligently adapt what I'm saying and apply it as well. Excellent. Um, but but my, 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 my um, premise for the book is, sort of there's a lot of studies that have shown that an enormous money amount of money is being spent on quote unquote digital transformation and studies by Forbes or Forrester or Gartner and that a huge percentage of digital transformations I have the statistics in my book I think it's something like 68% of digital transformations are considered unsuccessful and you know this is a heartbreakingly large number it's like well, how could this possibly be and um the reality is that there are a lot of efforts that companies make to transform that encounter predictable roadblocks and problems, and as a result, do not achieve their potential and their promise. And what I've had the opportunity in my career is observe so many companies and participate with so many sure. companies going through this process. And believe me, I've been a part of plenty of failures. You know? It's not <laughs> like everything that I've done has been successful. But because I've been a part of so many across so many industries, I also have had the opportunity to kind of see the patterns and understand sure. what are the things that tend to make things successful. And so what I've 
distilled it down to is really five key steps that I see the companies that are successful, they go through some version of these five steps. They may not label it the same way that I do or do it in exactly the same way, but this is the framework. I would never in a million years say there's only one way to be successful. I don't believe that at all, but I know there are many ways to be unsuccessful. That's fair. (laughs) And so my, my goal is to say, look, you know, this is what I've seen work. And if you move through these steps, and it's not just about the high level steps, but this is why if it was only talking about five steps, I could have written a, you know, an article on medium, <laughs> right? <laughs> but rather within each of those steps, there's a lot of nuances and best practices. And so what I really try to do in the book is create a blueprint to say, okay, these are the five steps to follow. And within each of them, here are the sub steps and the sub process. Here is literally a play by play blueprint of how you can execute digital transformation at your company. Love it. So let's walk through those. Sure. Um, so the five steps, uh, are, I'll just say what they are. And then maybe you can talk about any of them or all of them or whatever you like. Yep. The first is to understand your customer. The, probably the number one insight that I've had about business, let alone digital transformation is that success in business is mostly hinged on one thing. Can you get the customer to do what you want them to do? <laughs> and to do that, you've got to understand them first. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because if you can, there's other stuff, you know, is my finance operation effective? And what about the tax implications of how we do our capital budgeting? Yes, yes. Those all factor in. But if you can get the customer to do what you want them to do, it will cover a magnitude of sins in other areas of your business. Totally. And and if you can't, you're out of, you're out of business. It doesn't <laughs> matter if you have the world's best ERP system. It just <laughs> totally won't matter. agree. <laughs> All right. So, I love that one. Understand the customer. So that's the first. first. Just do you understand the customer? Because as you very, uh, you know, effectively said just now, if you want to influence someone's behavior, you better understand them or you're going to be really just shooting in the dark. The second is to map the journey, uh, which to me is like almost two parts. The first is, do you really understand what your customer's experience is today already right now? Most businesses understand what they think their customer's experience should be, but do they really know what happens when their customer's browsing their site or walking through their store or talking to folks in their call centers? Very often, there's a lot of stories of woe, (laughs) ways you're disappointing the customer, ways you're frustrating the customer. And I don't say this to be negative. I always believe you want to build on what's working and what's successful, but you also want to focus your lens and say, okay, let's really understand what actually happens for our customers today and why they do business with us and why they don't and why they walk away and all those types of things. So that's mapping the current journey. Yeah. And then you want to say, okay, well, if that's the current journey, it's almost like if we were to blow this up, if we were starting this business right now with everything we know and all the resources we have, and we could map everything out from scratch, what would that look like? If we were to build a business from the ground up to be massively successful and to be able to stand toe to toe with any company, whether it's a digitally digitally born company or a legacy company, what would that look like? What would that customer experience look like? Would we still FedEx them packets of form to sign (laughs) in 15 different places? Would we still ask them to wait in line, sort through sizes? Would we, you know, probably as you say, we would probably try to remove all of these things. And, and that requires courage, frankly, because very often, as soon as you start down that process, you're like, yeah, but, but, but we can't get there. How could we do that? That's not what we are. That's not what we do. It's like, okay, just give yourself the freedom to just envision what that future would be if you had the power to make it whatever you want. You Absolutely. may never get there. Absolutely. But you need a vision. And then, so that's the second step is to map the, the current and the future potential journey. And then the third step 
is to build the future, which obviously sounds perhaps like an oversimplification. But in the book, I talk extensively about design thinking and the principles behind design thinking and how you then take a big vision of a journey and break that into all the things. We need a chatbot. We need to improve our app. We're going to need a different analytics system. We need a different metric system for monitoring the performance of our servers. All these different individual things you need. And how do you go ahead and you know, you're not going to get it done all overnight. These are often multi-year long transformations, but how do you break it down? And within each of those things, how do you make sure you've got the right requirements? You've got the right design. You've got the right plan to launch it. And you're executing that effectively. Wow. And that's the third step. And, and then the last two steps, those three steps have a kind of a sequential nature. Of course, it doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to understand the customer and continue to map the journey while you're building things, right. but there's a certain waterfall component to, let's understand the customer first, let's map the current and then the future journey, and then let's build the vision of the future journey. The last two parts happen really in parallel. They kind of go across the whole duration of your activities. The first of these last two parts is to optimize the present. Because very often these big transformations, they're large scale, they're ambitious, they involve as I said earlier, making your company into the company it was always meant to be for the digital age. But that's not going to happen overnight. And your stakeholders, your board of directors, they may not be super patient with continuing to endlessly invest in something that's years out. And furthermore, your customers, if you're confusing and frustrating and disappointing them in various ways, may not continue to be patient while you tell them, don't worry, I'm working on an awesome new thing and it's going to be ready in 2024. Wow. So, while you're doing all that, you need to be constantly looking to see what can we fix right now? Not everything can be fixed. Some things are like, nope, we can't fix that until we have a whole new stack and a whole new way of interacting with the customer because of the challenges we may have, for example, in our legacy technology. But you know what? There's other areas and we find them every single time we look where we could say, gosh, you know, people are confused here. We can move that button. We can reword that. We can change the sequence of this process. You know, whatever it may be, there are always those opportunities as well. And sometimes those add up to be very, very substantial. You know, as you well know, if you can improve 1% conversion on a website, that can often be, depending on the scale of your business, tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. And so uh, it's worth it to find those little things that are tripping some people up. And if you find a whole bunch of them, it can start to add up to real money. And so you want to do that in parallel while you're working on your longer, bolder transformation. One of the other interesting things about your book is you highlight some of the reasons that transformation doesn't work or that it fails. Mm-hmm. A couple of these I found really interesting. Organizational resistance, um, outdated technology, uh, funding, um, wrong talent, and then also lack of alignment. I, I specifically was interested in your thoughts on lack of alignment on the vision and and then organizational resistance. What What is your um, perspective on that? And, and Or how would you rank these even in the in the reasons companies fail in their digital transformation efforts. Yeah. Well, digital transformation is a team sport. There's very few organizations where one person, you know, I I remember reading about like how Mark Zuckerberg back in the day would just sit there and code all of Facebook by himself. Like (laughs) it's just him. But like, that's a very, first of all, probably not even true. And second of all, you know, it's an extraordinary example of like the exception that proves the rule, because in general, it takes large groups of people to create effective digital businesses. And, you know, imagine you have a large group of people all trying to, I don't know, you know, move a, a heavy desk, but they all have a different idea about which direction the desk should be moved. So they're all working really, really hard. I'm trying to move the desk, you know, west, and you're trying to move it east, and other people are trying to move it north and south. Well, it's like a tug of war, right? 
we may go absolutely nowhere. That's one possibility. If every single one of us are perfectly balanced, or maybe you're stronger than me. So, you know, I'm pulling as hard as I can against you, but you're just 10% stronger. So we get to move at 10% of your maximum speed because that's as fast <laughs> as you can go while dragging me along with you, trying to pull you in the other direction. Totally. And so all of a sudden, and, and, and how many companies look at their digital transformations and say, oh my God, we've been at this three years and this is all we've accomplished so often. It's not because they're not working hard. It's because they're working hard in different directions and they're fighting each other. And wow. it's almost always the case. Fascinating. Yeah. I, 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 it's, and then no matter how much, if you, as you know, you walk in and you share with a leadership team, these, these facts and, and, um, and findings, it doesn't necessarily prevent a company from heading down that path. Right. I mean, that's, well, no, because let's say someone, let's say someone pointed it out to you and me, uh, and, and, and that you're pulling the desk West and I'm pulling the East right. and as a result, we're going 10% <laughs> West. You're, we're both going to agree. Yes, that's terrible. And you're going to say, all we need is for Howard to just start pushing West. And I'm going to say, <laughs> right. all I need is for Justin to start pushing East. That will solve either of those will solve the problem, you know? No doubt. <laughs> so we need to figure out how to not just point out. I mean, step one, though, is of course being aware of the problem. And then how do you get alignment? And so, you know, I go into a lot of this in the book. There's a lot of things we do to try to get alignment, including doing workshops, helping people feel ownership, helping people understand a common vision and how it benefits everybody. But, you know, sometimes there's a common vision that you can get three out of four people on board with and that fourth person just can't get on board. And sometimes you have to make, you know, personnel changes or leadership changes, not even because that fourth person is bad or even wrong. It's that you want to go west and I want to go east. So, you know what? We're going to go nowhere if we're working on the same thing. You need to go somewhere and work on going west. And I need to be somewhere and work on going east. And maybe we're both going to be massively successful. Right. Great. But we're not going to be successful if we're trying to push the same thing in two different directions. And so sometimes, you know, that's really what makes the most sense. Wow. I love that. Um, I always like to ask our guests, and you're an entrepreneur, um, what have been two or three of the biggest lessons learned in, in launching and growing your own brand, whether it be your agency or even your personal brand? Like, what would you share with our audience would be two or three of the biggest lessons learned in your experience? Hmm. Well, it's funny. I don't really think of myself as an entrepreneur. I, you know, people say that. And I'm like, yeah. Ah, and are. I know, and I know my bio says that, but I didn't write that, you know, <laughs> somebody wrote that for me. But I, I hear it in the things you're doing. You, you, yeah. in terms of the, yeah. You're so, you know, even your own brand, you're out there, you know, presenting your ideas and concepts and thoughts and, and coaching for others. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think what it is, is I never set out to say, I think of an entrepreneur as somebody who says, all right, I got to find like ways to make money, you know, and <laughs> I'm someone who's like, okay, I have like this mission around digital and digital transformation. Of course, in order to do that, we need money. Like we got to charge people because we got to like hire people and all that. So I, I don't mean to belittle or, or, or diminish the importance of the business side. Obviously that's key to being able to run a business, but yet I just feel like what's really always driven me was like this potent, this tremendous opportunity we have in the, the, the great um, uh, privilege I feel to live in this time when digital is really a transformational force in society. So um, anyway, well, to answer your question, without getting too <laughs> philosophical, I love it. Um, I think one thing that I, um, one thing I mentioned since you asked about my personal brand, two things come to mind. So one is about my personal brand is, and one is something that I learned when I was, when we were rebranding my company from the digital transformation agency, because about, I guess it was about six or seven years ago. Now we, we acquired another agency and we, we rebranded. So I'll mention the first thing though. Um, 
I uh, we've had great success in the last year, year and a half around um, the book that came out, which became the Wall Street Journal bestseller and has got Amazing. a lot of attention, which is wonderful. Amazing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I think Amazon for all the books. Are so <laughs> <on Amazon. laughs> hey, 114 reviews already and almost five stars. I mean, it's crazy. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's been wonderful. And um, it's wonderful how, you know, the opportunity of book publishing as a way of uh, reaching people. No doubt. Um, and and, and but, but what what the insight that I had was, you know, you, you're always trying to stand out if you're a business. You're always trying to get people to know who you are. And and of course, you know, I run a company of 100 some odd people. So some of our competitors have 20,000 people. And of right. course, I came from large companies that had, you know, I forget how many when I was there, 10, probably 30, 40, 50,000 people. And now I think it's hundreds of thousands of people at some of those companies. And so, you know, you're not going to take out a Super Bowl ad and whatnot. And and for so for years, we've, we've been, you know, I think I've been very happy with our, our business for 15 years. But um, we operate at a certain scale. And, um, you know, it's hard to break through when you're another digital agency and as different as you may be. And I want to talk about differentiation in a second, because that was one of my insights as well. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. And what I've discovered is that at least in the business to business domain that I operate in, um, it's a lot easier to break through as a person. You know, I, 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 for years, I never wanted to be the, so much the front sort of, uh, face of my company. I always followed that advice. It was like, build a company, you know, it's not, shouldn't be centered around you. It should be about the team and the company. And philosophically, I believe that, but from a marketing perspective, what I've learned is that people, it's very hard for people to really get excited about a brand. There are brands that people get excited about Disney, Nike, Whole Foods, whatnot, but, but those are big brands with a ton of money behind them. And while, of course, there are exceptions of micro brands that people get excited about as well, I'm not saying it can't be done. But in a B2B space, it's very hard to get people really excited about your, sure. you know, another company that provides XYZ services. But it's a lot easier, apparently, to get people excited about a person where you have, a, you know, a, a personality and a point of view. And so that's just been an interesting insight for me, which is that it's a lot. It takes a lot less to get a lot more audience and a lot more business being out there as, if you want to call it, like, what would they call it now? Like, you know, an influencer, if you will, sure, in this absolutely. digital world, absolutely. than being out there as a business trying to promote your business. So that was just Got an it. insight that I had uh, that I may be useful to others. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say and answer your question about my company is I had this real epiphany about this issue of differentiation when we did our rebranding, because we went around just like we advocate, we said, okay, Let's understand our customer. Let's make sure we really understand. Let's go around and do customer research. So we went around and did a bunch of meetings and interviews with people who'd been our clients, uh, people who had not been our clients, people who had talked to us about projects and not hired us, and obviously those who had hired us, just really trying to understand um, how they think about us and our brand and how it sits in the marketplace and all that. And one of the things we wanted to understand, because we were trying to figure out how to build, a, build our brand or rebuild our brand, you know, what our tagline should be, what our messaging should be. And we, we went out to find out, we had an idea of what we thought differentiated us in the marketplace. And when we went out to talk to customers, we learned that we were wrong about what we thought differentiated us. Interesting. Because what, what we thought, and I'll speak for myself, what I assumed, and in retrospect, of course, this wouldn't automatically be the case, but I hadn't thought it through well. What I assumed was the things that's most important about what we do is the thing that differentiates us, Right. And so I felt that that was our customer-centric approach, our approach to basing the things that we do on customer research, because I believe that that's the most important aspect of the way we drive success. And when we went out to talk to our customers, they agreed that that was extremely important. 
But they said, you know what? Everybody is saying that. Right. Everybody <laughs> is talking about that. So yes, it's very important, but it doesn't differentiate. You might right. think it does. Everybody but, is saying you know, they do that. I, yeah. Now, now I still believe that we were doing it better than a lot of other companies were. I never would claim better than any company. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of companies out there that I haven't worked with. I'm sure many of them are great. Uh, but uh, but that was an epiphany. And then we said, well, what is, we said to the people who were repeatedly hiring us over and over and over, we said, well, well wait a minute, if that doesn't differ, you know, if you're sitting there telling me that there's, you believe there's many companies out there that could do the same thing, that could do customer research, could do this, the same thing that we think is so important. Why do you keep hiring us? Right. And then they told us why. And I was like, and, and I'll tell you what it was. They said, because you are really collaborative. You work closely with us and you focus on helping get us the outcome that we care about. Wow. Now, and I was like, that differentiates us. You know what I hear? Focus on the customer. That's what I heard in that statement. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. My response at the time was, doesn't everybody do that? I mean, the (laughs) thing, I mean, how, how can you run an agency and not work with your client, right? How can you run an agency and not focus on what your client cares about. It just seemed to me like, how could that be differentiating? That's just so fundamental. You, you, but right. Doesn't but, everybody do that? But well, yeah. And, right? and, and, and when I talked to our clients, they said, well, they sort of pretend to, but then they come and they do all kinds of devious things and they're not really looking out for our interests and blah, blah, blah. And anyway, this is what we heard. And I don't mean to say anything bad about any other agencies. I'm just telling you what we heard from clients, which is their perception was, and this is five or six, no, seven years ago. So some of those may have also changed, but their perception was, that the thing that we thought was different about us was true of all of our competitors. And the thing that they thought was different about us, I assumed to be true of all of our competitors. And they said, no, it's very different in how you work with us from how your competitors work with us. And I was like, mind blown to realize, and it's an example of this point that you can't assume you understand your customer or what differentiates you because both things were important. I would have agreed that both things were part of what we do, but you have to remember that differentiation isn't what you think is important. It's what your customer sees making you different from your competition. And well, at least in my case, I wasn't, I wasn't a customer of my competition. You know, it's I can't easily mystery shop another design agency the way you could go mystery shop another online sure. e-commerce experience. You That's know, right. it's just different. And so uh, anyway, so that was a big uh, like epiphany for me. And I, I think about it a lot. Focus on the customer. Love it. Um, what great content. And um, I, I know we've only scratched the surface of all that is in your book, but I would love for you to do this. Share with our audience where they can find you, connect with you, buy the book, get you to speak at their next event now that things are opening back up. Please. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All those. Um, so if you're le- interested in learning more about the book, of course, you can find it on Amazon. <laughs> right. Amongst other places. <laughs> and and right. if, if there still are any other places that sell books, you can find it there too. <laughs> um, and in addition, uh, there's a website, winningdigitalcustomers.com, which is the website for the book. You can download the first chapter there for free um, and uh, also get links to various places to buy it and pay it hardback or uh, you know for various electronic versions, et cetera. I'm also all over LinkedIn. I do live casts twice a week. I post a lot there. So if you want to find me on LinkedIn, I encourage you to follow me there. And I also have my own podcast as well called Winning Digital Customers, same as the name of the book. 
And you can find me, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, <laughs> or whatever. Yep. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, yeah, exactly. you can find I was going to say, if you guys wait about 25 seconds after we end, you'll hear all those locations. But that's great, man. Hey, Howard, it's been so great having you on. I hope you'll come back on down the road. You've got great content here. I know there's there's more we could even dive into. And I uh, really appreciate you being on our podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Justin. It's been a pleasure. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contendercast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.